which is at Corinth. We've been there. To them they are sanctified in Christ Jesus. By the way, the word sanctified means I drop you in a preservative so you won't rot and spoil. Sanctified means I drop you in a preservative. Long before they have freezers and deep freeze and all that stuff, you still have preservative. You drop your meat in the preservative. And it will stand there like a salt brine. It will stay good for years and months and days. It says, you're sanctifying Christ, so it means you're in a preservative. Jesus, and call to be sinners. Call to be Satans. Call to be serpents. Call to be saints. It was a saints. We're called to be saints. With all that is in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Verse 9, God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It won't be long. We'll see him someday. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to talk to you about the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth. Now, this church, the Paul says, in, in fact, in Acts 18, I believe that's where they were founded. In Acts 18... They said, Paul passing through where? Let's go there very quickly. I think that's where, verse 1. Paul came to Corinth. Came to Athens and then to Corinth. And there he met Aquila and Priscilla. And what a discovery. A tremendous couple. What I like about the seven churches in, in Revelation is I can prove there are one God churches. The church in Ephesus, Smyrna, Laodicea. I can find their origin in the book of Acts or in the epistles. And I know that and through the entire time I know there are one God believing church that were started either directly by Apostle Paul or by the influence of Paul. And I don't believe for one moment that any of those churches were anything different from an Acts 2.38 church. They were absolutely Acts 2.38. Now, you do understand when you read those seven churches, and you ought to read them because it's about us, they, they went through quite a trauma of changes, some for the better, some for the worse. And some were hanging, and I'm not sure where they were between the verses. But they were hanging between, you know, the balances of good and evil. And that's the potential of a church. Once you get out of the preservative, you can rot. You could decay once you get out of the preservative. And as we come to the end of time, we are getting closer involved in the seven churches. Like it or not, this is how it's going to end. God told you already the revelation of His church. There are going to be seven distinct revelation or manifestation of his church before he comes. 
when he comes this is how he's going to find them in those seven church conditions now whether it's the top church or some church down the road you know I'm not going to argue that I'm just saying this is the way he's going to find them just like this is the way Jesus is going to be it's fixed it's a fixity how things are going to be now Paul founded that church and that church went through some experiences and I want to talk to you about it I want to talk to you about it tonight I'm amazed how we can read and not get the revelation the church in Corinth was not a lazy church it was not a lazy church. In fact, it was the most proactive church. Full of zeal. Full of talents. Except when Apostle Paul blew the bubble and said, not many noble among you guys. Not many wise. Not many mighty. Not many things which are. He began to explain the complexity of the stew of believers pot of believers and all that conglomeration and heterogeneous mix of socials must become an homogeneous body of Christ heterogeneity become homogeneity that means from dissimilar you become one united where there's no differentiation visible after he get a hold of this aggregates of believers he said, I want you to know that this church was not made of high and mighty, but people that Jesus called. He said, you're called to be saints. Remember that, why you're called. You're called to be saints. Now, not a dead saint, folks, but a living saint. We're not Roman Catholics. <laughs> We're living saints. God doesn't want dead saints. He says, why seek the living among the dead? Now, two things this book characterizes disorder and order. The book of Acts gives you the founding of all the churches. It tells you how the church got started. The epistles tells us how the church got perfected. They had problems. They're new converts. They're new to the faith. They bring in with them all the baggages of their past. Paganism, immorality, contentious, wisdom, knowledge, you name it, they brought it in. And that's what Jesus told us to do. Come as you are. That's the invitation. Come as you are. But don't stay as you came. <laughs> You're going to be changed. Not in a moment on the trigger of an eye, but you'll be changed... It will not be revolutionary, but you're going to change evolutionary. You will change. And you're going to change. And so he used the word, the perfecting of the saints. You're a saint, but you still need perfecting till you become perfect. Because the, the ultimate goal of a, of a Christian is to be holy as he is holy and to be perfect as he is perfect. That's your goal. Your goal is not to be like Pastor Neil or Sister So-and-So. 
You're supposed to be like Jesus. He's reproducing himself. That's why they call him Christian. You are to be holy as he is holy. You are to be perfect as he is perfect. So if you felt like somebody's better than you, it's the wrong comparison. Paul said you're not wise. You're comparing by the wrong standard. Compare yourself to Jesus Christ. And it would be a lot more encouraging. <laughs> okay. Now, Paul used these terms, and look at in the Bible for them. In 1 Corinthians, I'm looking only in, not 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, I'm pointing things out to you. And my emphasis is on disorder versus order. There's disorder among them, and it's calling for order. Now, Apostle Paul is the founder of them. He left them in the care of new converts in leadership role. Those who are qualified, he put them in charge of the body. I've heard folks say, well, well, we got no visible pastor. We just have this brother here doing this and this and doing this. Well, that's Bible. The Corinthian church, Paul was their founder, but he was not there to ground them. But he supported them by delegation. He delegate, he commit men and women to be in charge of the flock in his absence. And their job was to feed them and feed them doctrine, knowledge, and truth based on as they were taught. For example, God spoke to Moses. Moses speak to Joshua. Joshua speak to the people, or the elders. The elders speak to the people. And he'll filter right down to the crib all the way through. That's what's happening. So this is a letter that Paul wrote. Paul is not there to preach this. Paul is not there teaching this. He sent this letter, and he hoped the people left in charge are going to communicate the letter. It's like he wrote it. They may not, and they might. They might rip it up, or they might present it. We don't know. But we know in John's case, in, in 1st and 3rd John, Diotrophus did not read the letter. He tore it up <laughs> and did his own thing. So that's possible too. So Paul hoped they got the letter, and I believe they got it. Because they responded to him. Now, there was disorder and order. Obviously, the leadership was weak. The leadership didn't deal with nothing that he should have dealt with. Maybe he was laissez-faire. He sure wasn't authoritarian or, or authoritative. He must have been laissez-faire or very lax, easy going. And so all these things slipped by and just kept on going. For whatever reason, we know that Timothy was afraid to go to Corinth. Paul says, don't mishandle him because he's young. Listen to him because his message is old. An old message in a young man's mouth. Listen to him because he's doing the work of, of me. All right, now, so Paul says in chapter 4 and verse 14, I wrote this not to shame you, but to warn you. Some folks don't like to be warned. They look at being warned as being ashamed. We're not shaming you. We are trying to warn you, to tell you that this is not in your best interest. Then he says in chapter 6 and verse 5, he said, now, this is your shame. He says, I wrote not to shame you, but now there is shame. 
chapter 6 and verse 5. All right? It says, I speak to your shame. First says, I wrote this not to shame you, but now, this what I'm talking to you about, it's about your shame. Now, look here. In chapter 11 and verse 2, it says, what? Go there. Now I praise you. That's balance pastoring. There are times when you got to be rebuked. In time, you got to be, you know, encouraged to hey, be proud of who you are, what you're doing. Right? It says, once it says, I, I, I wrote to warn you not to shame you, but now I praise you not. He said, I don't praise you now. Right? Because you're not keeping the ordinances right. In verse 2, in verse 17, and then in verse 17, it says what? Now in this, I praise you. Some folks can only take the praise. They can only take the pat on the back. I, you know, if if everybody I I, I suppose this shame was staying in church, I'm a full church. A lot of people left this church. Said I abused them. I never abused them once in my life. I just read them the word of God and they didn't like it. They walked out. I went slam the door on me, you know. Because I corrected them. And some pat them back and walk out. Some did all sorts of things. Amen. But Paul says, this was to your shame. Another time it says, uh, I didn't write this to shame you. Another time it says, I praise you not. They said, now I praise you. That's a balanced teaching. If it's in the book, then it's worth my digesting. If you don't like it, do not the world, cut it out, throw it out, and end up with a false religion. Your kids are sometimes, when you correct them, well, mommy, you, you shame me. Well, don't apologize for that. They should repent. Not, not say, well, you should repent. Why do you repent? You guys all messed up. Well, you shame me. No, I didn't shame you. You need to repent. Whatever is your feeling is what you should feel. And don't ask me to repent. You ought to repent. Hello? If you, if you reverse that, you're being destructive. You're being foolish. Alright? So, Paul says, I, I praise you not. Now, what Paul's doing here is dealing with disorder. Let me point these out, these disorders to you here. In chapter 1, verse 11, one of the disorders called contention. There's contention in the church. Here's a church in a faction type church. They are not following Christ as they should. Hello? But they're following crises. They're crisis oriented. Not Christ sanctified, but Christ oriented. They're called to be saints. But they're acting like serpents. Acting like Satan. <laughs> Instead of being a singer of Christ, become a singer of Satan. In that disorder. Because remember now, God is not the author of confusion. This world declare an ordered God. Objective revelation show the glory of God. The heaven, the earth, everything in divine order. 
So if the heavens are in divine order, shouldn't the church be in divine order? Think about it. Now, he said there's contention, which he called disorder. Chapter 3 and verse 3, I'm not going to go in depth of it. you got a Bible, you can read your Bible. But chapter 3 and verse 3, it says here, there's envy, there's strife, there's division. That's disorder. That's not sainthood. That's satanic. Chapter 5 and verse 1, it says there is <laughs> disorder in monogamy relationship. It's incestuous. It's wrong what they're doing. It's not being corrected. Then it says in chapter 6 and verse 1 to 8, there's conflict among the saints. In chapter 7 verse 5, he said, look, there's marriage conflict. You mean improper relationship. It's not being corrected. Then chapter 8 and verse 11 to 12 to 13, there is this uncharitable behavior where people do things that make others stumble. They deliberately do things because they know they're smarter than everybody else. And they do it make others people fall down. Now, then there are others like chapter 10, 22. They provoke God with their behavior. Provoking God with their behavior. That behavior is a provocative behavior. And then we have chapter 11, verse 16. It's contentious. These are contention among brethren, among sisters in the church. Then we have chapter 12 and verse 14 to 16. We have schisms in the church, political division. People divide themselves in the church into factions. You know, party A, party B, party Apollos, party Peter, party Jesus. You know, you know, you got churches that are their favorite speakers. You know that if it's not their favorite speaker, they start chewing gum. <laughs> and when it's their favorite speaker, they chew their cud. Hello. <laughs> And then chapter 14, 23, Paul says, the way you guys are carrying on, anybody that goes to your church will think you're a bunch of man people. You're all in total disorder, disarray. You're doing things out of synchrony, out of divine harmony. Hello? And say, so look, you're acting like a bunch of mad people. You're out of order. And then he says in chapter 15, and verse 14 to 17, he says, ah, there's false teaching among the heresy. In other words, there are 11 disordered orders mentioned in that book. But remember now, they're called to be saints. Now, you can't just throw these people out, otherwise you won't have a church. They're going to throw out their behavior. God wants to change their spirit. So Christ be formed in them. Because the question is, is Christ divided? No. 
This is not Rome. This is not Babylon. This is not politics. This is Christianity. And so look, this church can't move forward if there's contention and envy and strife and division and, uh, and dysfunctional relationship and conflict all the time and, 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 and people having dysfunctional marriages in the church and people acting uncharitable towards each other and some are provoking God, others are contentious and there's political schisms, amen, and acting like a bunch of mad folks and false teaching. But this is a Jesus-named church. This is not some Trinitarian church. It's not some cult. It's a Jesus-named church acting dysfunctionally. They're not operating right. And and so Paul told them, I'm going to give you guys a little memory, lesson here on, on, on what you should be noting here. In chapter 10, he said, I want you to know it happened before. He walked them down to the book of Exodus. And said, look, when they came out of Egypt, here's how they came out. And here's what they start doing. They start acting dysfunctionally till they provoke God till as a result of what they were doing, Psalm 78 was written. And God became their enemy and not their, not their defense. Because they provoke him eventually. And he got angry. And a whole bunch of them died. And Paul says, it's written for our learning and admonition. So if I don't teach this to you, you're going to do these things. And you're going to miss the warning. And if you stand before him, you could end up being ashamed down here or up there. Depends on what you can say, you know. I'd rather, if I had kids, I'd rather shame my kids than a cop shoot them. Oh, yeah. I'd rather do that. Huh? Of course I would. Well, well, you shame me, yeah? I bet I do it here that you're going to court and they do it before in court. Mm-hmm. But accept the correction. And don't ask me to repent. You repent. All right. So, there it is. Disorder. It's I can't break you for disorder. And it's to your shame that these orders are there. But I can praise you for order. I praise you for order. That's balanced teaching. You do what's right and you will be accepted. You do what's wrong and you'll be rejected. That's the plain truth. Well, you embarrass me. Well, better me embarrassing you than God condemns you. Now, a call to order. In 1 Corinthians 11, 34, I just want to point this word to you. The key word is order. Look how many times the word order is written. That tells me there is an overemphasis on the word order. This church is in disarray. I've been to churches where kids run up and down, and they're up on the pulpit, and they carry on, and do all kinds of stuff, and their parents let them do it. In God's place, God is mad. God is angry. But He's not doing anything about it. But it's wrong. It's wrong. It's a disrespect for holy things. Holy place. I don't want to eat food in church and eat their apples and carry on their 
with the hamburgers and all that stuff, and the family them do it, and the pastor them about it, it's wrong. And people leave church over that. I rather them leave than God leaves. Personally, I rather them pack their bags and leave with their kids and stay here, and, and I lose God because they can't help me. They can't save me. Their president is no good to me. All right, a call for order, chapter eleven and verse thirty-four. There's a call for order. Chapter fourteen and verse forty, a call for order. Chapter fifteen twenty-three, a divine order is called for. Chapter sixteen and verse one, an order is called for. Now I'm giving you a quick summary, a quick synopsis of the scripture. I expect you to go digest it for yourself and see because it's written for your learning. That means go learning means behavior change. So if it's for your learning, mean for you and me to change our behavior. I was reading tonight. It says in chapter in the second book. It says, "Warn them who cause division among and mark them." You know that, that's a command. You're supposed to know those in church will cause division, and you're supposed to avoid them. That's Bible. Not condone them. Not you know. Not conspire with them. Expose them. Tell them. Point them out. It's like you being the first one to throw the stone and hit that wretch. Otherwise, you become a wreck <laughs> if that wretch continues. It's the truth. Expose them unapologetically. Why? Because God said you should. Point them out. Now, note, warn them. Paul says, I wrote this. For you to warn them. Chapter 4 and verse 14. So it's not abuse. It's proper use of scripture. If you're doing wrong. You'll be rejected. If you do right. You'll be accepted. Alright. In chapter 6 and verse 5. It says shame them. They need to be shamed. One place says. Those who sin openly and blatantly. Rebuke them publicly. If they do it publicly. If they do it privately, do it privately. Match it. So they know. Now there are people called sympathizers who take side with people who do terrible things. Well, they're both going to fall in the ditch. Because it happened in the book of Exodus and Numbers. Sympathizers always go with those who sin. And got judged. And they die with them. Like Korah. Korah sinned. And they were sympathized and die with him. How dumb were they? That's his problem. That's not my problem. He chose that route. Let him go in the ditch. I ain't going with him. <laughs> Hello? All right? Shame them if you have to. Chapter 6 and verse 5. Praise them when you need to. Chapter 11 verse 2. Don't praise them if you shouldn't. Chapter 11 verse 17. Admonish them because you ought to. Chapter 10 and verse 11. Now, any church will apply this will shrink pretty fast. You guys didn't hear what I said? Any church will apply those is going to shrink pretty quick, especially in our day. How dare you tell me that? I'm going to quit paying my tithe and pay it across the road. I'm going to quit paying my offering. I'm going to withdraw my talents, my skills. My musical ability, or my, or my, my speech ability, or my eloquence, and, and I won't give my support. I resign. 
things happen all the time. But the Bible says, it. Now, does God take God take pleasure in the sin? No. But the whole idea is you're called to be saints. Better down here than he come and reject and leave you here. Amen. Now, the sources of disorder at Corinth. Carnality. When we first come to church, we come in natural. We're naturalists. We believe anything and anything we want to believe. God's a fun idea the spirit anyhow. Now wait, well, after a few days, you got a Holy Ghost, you're baptized in his name, but still, you didn't quit everything you were doing. You still have those bad hang-ups, bad temper, judgmental spirit, subversive activities still in you. Hello? And that's what carnality is. Hello? And God will, if you let him, take it out. There's conflict uh, in belief system. They're accustomed where the men start having long hair and the women are cutting their hair. They're accustomed where for the Lord's Supper communion they all bring, you know, hamburger and cheese with onions. <laughs> they call that communion. <laughs> Hello? Some thought it was okay that a guy could live with his mother-in-law. Or her father-in-law. It was happening. Some felt like they could go to any kind of festivity, no matter what kind it was, and just drink any wine they wanted. They were doing those things. This church was. And some were divorcing their partner because they're not saved. They said, well, he's not saved. I always want to marry Jack. This is my chance right here. Let's marry Jack now. Get rid of this guy. So you can marry Jack. Paul said, no, you don't do that. And, and this goes on. Then you got those who have disorder in worship. The preachers try to preach and they want to prophesy. They want to sing a song. They all want to do all these things. And the, the pastor has no power at all. He can't preach because women are talking in the church. While the preaching is going on. Babies are crying. Another person is umming us up. Let's preach it. I've seen it happen while I'm preaching right here. Someone trying to sing me out. Yeah. And some just playing this something right out. I walk right out. But there's disordered worship. Alright? And there are those who are proud of their gifts. And they want you to know, I brought a gift today. Today I'm going to use my gift. It's my turn to display my gift. It's so a one of tongues, one of no interpretation. One of discernment, and they come with all these nine different stuff all at the same time. Church, can you imagine that's happening? Come on. It happened in Corinth. And their relationship? Well, my favorite preacher is Apollos. Well, Paul is more eloquent. Oh, no, I'm for Jesus. I'm for none of those. Hello? And then the pride. They're puffed up. Well, you know, that pastor, when he's around, he's as weak as a thread. Go and write those letters. Man, that's real weighty. 
he's got no guts when he's here. But when he's awake, he's all these nice letters. Hello? Now, these, these are the same people Paul says, Hey guys, what kind of ministry do you prefer? A staff or a rod? A staff comfort me, a rod chastise me. How should I come? With sharpness or with humility? Because some of these guys want proof that Paul was hearing from God. Some of you were teaching Peter was Paul's boss. Try to insult him. All that was going on. So here's the key false here. In chapter 6 and verse 7, the fault is this. What is amongst you? What is amongst you? Brother Kilgore was telling on, on this little story in 1965. No, 2000 and 2000, three years ago, anyway. He died this week. Passed on. Great man. Absolutely great man. Great. That's great, great. Great to talk about. But he passed on. Uh, his father in his day was preaching in the river, and the whole city came out in the early, you know, turn of the century. And and when he stepped in the water, a snake put his head up. And then many more snakes put their head up, and the crowd on the banks is watching. In those days, they they baptized them in the open river where the water was. That's how they did it, old timers. And the snakes started pushing their head up, and everybody said, "What is he going to do?" He told them, "Move to the side, because these snakes will be no more." He said, one by one, those snakes pushed their head up and walked right out of that water. And they've never been back since. No snake has ever been back in that water. The moment he put his foot in that water, they walk away. Hallelujah. It's amazing what God will do for his people. Amen. God will do strange and great things, marvelous things. Just for the baptism of those people. It was a snake infested water. But God took those snakes out. And I'm telling you, church, the devil go to church with all of us. Read the book of Job. The Son of God came and the devil showed him too. He speaks to you even right now. In many ways, you have to keep pushing him out. You're constantly pushing him out. Because he, if you think he's outside the door waiting for you to come out of there, you're wrong. He's right beside you, right on both sides of you. I don't mean the person in the door. <laughs> he <made it> to you. <laughs> but he's on both sides of you and all around you. Yeah. But here is why we have disorder in the worship and the church services. Because there's a fault among us. Can you imagine? My fault plus your fault plus her fault plus his fault and their fault my God did you know one fault make a diamond price goes down and one fault in the church make the church become less valuable to God a fault is a crack in the thing amen but we know God can make us faultless you know I know that Jude said that God can present us 
fault. Paul says, there's a fault among us. And, and Jews said, there's a faultless God. They can present you faultless. So we can purge out the leaven in our midst if we want to. And become what? Flawless. Faultless. All right. Here are the faults among the Corinthian saints. Now, I'm so glad that's not in the tabernacle of praise church. We, we got the most excelsior perfect church. I know that. These things are not here. You guys are innocent. I'm, not, I'm, I'm corrupting your pure ears by telling you this. But forgive me for contaminating you with this horrible defects in these people over here. Chapter 1. Chapter 1 and verse 10. Division among you? That's why I, don't, I, don't, I personally like the term youth division, lady division, huh? home division, foreign division. You start dividing the body of Christ, you got a problem here. Pretty soon we're like a pie. Hello? I rather word ministry, youth ministry. But I'm not going to tell an organization what to do. That's their problem or their opportunity. But chapter 1 and verse 10, what's the fault among the Corinthian church? There was division among them. Again, it's repeated in chapter 11 and verse 18. In chapter 1 and verse 11, there was contention among them. Contention means they're contending. Contending means you're fighting each other. You know, you can fight with your eyes. I've seen that before in church. I've seen bullets fly in church before. I'm up here watching it now. I see, you know, Star Wars. They're all stars, right? Now, some of you got a shattered head. Wow. Say you forgot to put your thing up, and you got hit. I can tell by your face. The way he responded, I know he got hit by a target. Hello? But there's contention among them, verse 11, chapter 1. In chapter 3 and verse 3, there was strife among them. Strife! War and strife on every hand, as violence fill our church. Yet some people don't believe. <laughs> Imagine that. Hallelujah. <clears throat> you know, it must be strange to us. Two girls fighting over one man, and God's watching them fighting. Can you imagine that? Jesus Christ watching us fighting. He said, There goes my prospective bride. Which one going to win? All right, chapter 3, verse 3. Strife among them and envy. Then chapter 5 and verse 1, there's sin among them. What? Sin? What sin? Transgression of the law. Among God's people? Yes, Corinthians, Adam. And chapter 11, verse 19, heresy among you. Corinthians? So, they say, now, get rid of that wicked one from among you. Because the church was not dealing with the issues and the problem. They're glossing over it like nothing is happening. 
there was a demon right there. And Paul says, that God is living in sin and you're allowing it? And you're puffed up against me? What is wrong with you? He said, you have a problem. You get him out, not me out. Get him out. Before the whole thing got destroyed. Who is that wicked one amongst us? He said, mark him. Mark her. Mark them. That church, that's the Corinthian church. Corinth was a divided church. And Paul had to deal with the disunity amongst them. Amen. You know, if you want to know what a unified church is, look at the people in Thessalonica. They were really unified. And they grew. They grow. Because they were unified. I was surprised to look at a plant history how many diseases there are that attack plants. Thousands! Disease that will attack a plant. Alright? But you can't have a church grow with schism inside of it or partisanism. It's just not going to go. Because people tend to take sides. And once you talk taking sides, Christian Jesus don't own any of you. Hello? But the reminder is, we're called to be saints. Chapter 1 and verse 2. We are blessed with gifts from above. Chapter 1 and verse 7. And those talents were given to us, not for my pride and arrogance, but for the work of the ministry, for the cause. Verse 9, chapter 1. We are all called to be here. God set us here. Alright? Now, here's Paul begging the church to give up their faults and take on faultlessness. Now, nobody can make you live for God. That's a personal decision. It's a choice you make. But in chapter 1, verse 10, he said, Look, I beg you, please, could you all speak the same thing? And could you all preach that there's no division among you? Can't you agree to get together? I don't say agree to disagree. Can't you agree to agree? Well, could you please agree? And if you can't agree to agree, abandon your thought and act like you're naive just to make peace be ensued. Can you please be joined together? Would you stop divisions or being divisive? Would you come together and be so perfectly joined? We could tell that you were joined. You're Siamese twins. You're co-joined. I want you to have the same mind as long as it's not defective. <laughs> I want you to have the same choice, the same decision in other words keep strife from among us chapter 1 verse 11 keep strife out of our church verse 12 because our leader Christ is not divided that's why we're not Trinitarians 
the Trinitarians divided God into three portions. One God, one faith, one baptism. One God in us all, through us all. Amen. For us all. Hello. We should not let our culture interfere with Christianity. Or our custom get involved in our cult holiness. We are a chosen people. Equal opportunity around the cross. Nobody can boast. Verse 29. Because the flesh is corruptible to God. Alright? The sign of immaturity and carnality is 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 to 3. Acting immature means you're acting like a bunch of kids. You know, your feet is on your shoulder. Easily upset. There's a lack of leadership among us when there's a problem. Nobody can take the high road. We're unable to trust each other. Or we use power destructively. Or we use our authority, our authority to bring others in subordination. Or we use our responsibility uh, in a dysfunctional way. Or we use leadership to prove how autocratic we can be. No, that's not what God wants. Partism in the church create division and fault. Chapter 3 and verse 4 says that. Verse 9 to 11, chapter 3 says, Look, we got different calling in the church, but for one purpose, one cause. Verse 12 says, Variety is allowed, it's a spice of life. And God will test our work when it's all done. Your motive for doing what you just did, for what you just said, what you just talk about. And Paul said, verse 21. Any growing in the flesh, dismiss Jesus Christ. Any competing, you miss the work of charity. How can a church ever function where people are judgmental and full of pride? It just can't function. And that's not of God. The only judgment I can give is my own work. My own work. Chapter 4, verse 1 to 2. I can judge my own work, but I can't judge yours because I'm not on the beamer seat yet with Christ Jesus. So Paul says, I want the church to stop being puffed up against each other. Chapter 4 and verse 6. Quit your puffing up. It's as cheap as stars. That's what he's trying to tell them. Verse 7. You're not superior. And you're not inferior. You're equal. You're necessary. You're God's body. What part of your body is extraterrestrial? What part of your body is not essential? And we're the body of Christ. Hello? Nobody's a vestige of the past. Everybody's a current part of the body. And the warning is, chapter 4 and verse 14, this is a warning to the Corinthians. Remember chapter 10, how God destroyed Israel after saving them. Because they were so disgruntled. They murmur and they complain and they find fault and they could not be satisfied with nothing God did. Everything was wrong for them. Alright? Paul said, I dare you set your differences in court or by the works of the flesh. 
chapter 6 and verse 1 to 5. In other words, I dare you to cross swords with each other. So you can't do it. If you do it, you don't belong to Christ. He says, I dare you to retaliate of being offended. Chapter 6 and verse 7. He says, you can't do it. Verse 8, he says, if you wrong each other, you're going to hurt yourself. Eventually. Look at verse 9 and 12, chapter 6. He says, you will be lost if you don't quit operating in the flesh. Alright? So Paul says, you have a duty to each other, even in a conflict. Chapter 6 and verse 7, take the wrong. Verse 8, stop hurting the other person. Chapter 7, 30, compliment each other as fellow citizens. Chapter 8 and verse 2, don't deceive yourself and don't deceive your brother and sister. Chapter 8 and verse 9, it says stop, put a stumbling before each other. You know they can't handle it. Why you keep doing it? Why don't you back off? Why don't you stand back? And sacrifice your own rights for their privilege. Verse 11. Stop hurting each other. What do I, what's that? God. Verse 13. Chapter 8. Start being more helpful. Being redemptive. Be supportive. Use empathy. Hello? Chapter 10 and verse 9. Don't tempt God. The serpent will bite you. Chapter 10 and verse 10. Quit the murmuring and the complaining. It gets you no malice with God. The destroyer will get you for it. Read Psalm 78. And the warning is this, verse 11, chapter 10. God says, you will not be exempt because this lesson is for our learning and admonition. Verse 12 says, if you're so self-confident that you're okay and that you are the perfect one and you don't need correcting, fine. So be careful where you think you stand, you fall. It's one thing to follow the favor with your sister and brother. It's another part of the faith. You're outside the promise of God. Chapter 10 and verse 22. Don't provoke God. Stop provoking God. Well, how do you provoke God? By provoking each other. Because that person will stumble because of you. And they fall. You will falter in time. If they go out because they're you, you're going out eventually. You're not going to go to heaven they left behind because they're you. No way. You're going to pay the price with them. You're both going to hell. 29.30 says, Don't misuse your liberty. Well, in other words, because you have certain privileges or rights, doesn't mean you should bulldoze your way through. Hello? Verse 32 Stop the offense. Quit building fence. Take down the walls, the partition, and be joined together as one. Amen. Well, God, how can I do that? God said, well, I want you to please each other. Verse 33. Please each other to stay safe. Well, God, can I do that? He said, look. He said, well, in chapter 10, 11, verse 18, 
when you come together, guy, it's not to fight war. I didn't invite you to church to fight each other. You had an arena that to do that. You come in here, you're one. You're in one sanctuary. You're both running from the avenger of blood. You see, when you come together, it must be for the better, not for bitterness. You should not leave a church gathering bitter. You should leave it better than you came. You should leave your more bonded people, not afflicted in your spirit. And verse 19 said, Stop the gossip and the heresy and the backbiting and the partisan. One lady said, I don't want to see Pastor Neil. So she took her glass off. The problem is I didn't disappear. I just out. I'm not the problem. I'm just simply giving you a warning. Then what happened to you? Hello? You know, I was praying, God said, tell the saints, I say, every saint in church have enough crisis fighting the devil. And the one thing they don't need is to be able to fight him with their brother or sister. They don't need that. They don't need any more criticizing from each other because they already have an adversary of the devil who night and day accuse you to God. And that is enough. Hello? Hello? So, you have an obligation to each other. Yes, they praise the Lord. Alright? Now, the house of God cannot be divided. Amen? It must be what? United. So, law number one. I must learn to speak the same language, the same thing my brothers and sisters say. Chapter 1 and verse 10. That you all speak the same thing. Don't try to be different. That there be no division among you. That you be perfectly joined in the same mind. And be perfectly joined by the same choice and judgment. In other words, okay, because you pick blue, I pick red. Just to be different. Just to be cantankerous. Okay, I see I have to say, oh no, we let them fry it. Just to, be, just to make a color, create a, a problem. And I say you're devilish. You're contrary. Hello. Hello. Law number two, that no flesh glory in his presence. When I do the same thing, I give all praise to God. Verse 29, chapter 1. No flesh. Because the works of the flesh are 18 works of the flesh in Galatians 5. You don't want those works of the flesh. He said to the Corinthian church, you don't want those things. All right? If I'm going to be glorying, he said to the Corinthian church, glory in the Lord. Law number 3. Chapter 131. Glory in the Lord. And guess what? God says, I know what my church is made up of. It's a mixture of some of you are noble, some of you are not. Some of you are mighty, some are not. Some of you are, you know, snob knob up there. Some of you are just down here. Yeah. And God says, I know you all like that, but I, I use you all to compete not against each other, but against the world system. I pitch you against, right? Not noble against noble, wise against wise, and not mighty against. No, read for yourself in chapter 1, 26, 27. Church, this is how God clean his church. God the creature of the vacuum cleaner. No. He is by the word, the washing, and the regenerating, I mean reviving of the church. 
that you may not be condemned with the world. Because the world does this. Every day. War and strife. The church should not be perilous. It should be precious. Amen. Praise God. Alright. He said, I chose the foolish among you to face the wise out there. I chose the weak among you to compete with the mighty out there. I chose the despised among you to deal with Mr. Popular guy out there. But never the next way around. Amen. Let's worship God. Hallelujah. I can never finish this. There's no way. He said, now I want you to be interdependent. Not independent. In chapter 3 and verse 6 it says, you are interdependent. You're going to wait for each other. You're not going to run off and leave someone behind. Nobody's left behind. I was in a situation in the Caribbean where this other school kid taking a trip with this man who served kerosene oil to companies in the country. And the guy was his helper. We had either the same plate and we eat like some culture do. And that situation, put the food there. And he eat ten times faster than I eat. He just ate it all up. And the guy saw what was going on. I was going to get any. He, he just cut and swallow. <laughs> and I was by the rock. So he pushed the plate away from him and pushed it towards me. To guarantee me getting a bite on the situation. Well, God said, you know what? You're going to wait on each other. You've got your teeth in, i got my gum in, right? So i got gum mine, so I've got it slower than you are. Allow me to chew and get to where you are. But we'll leave you full. Amen. You know, when, when the manna fell, church, some got a basket full, ten baskets, some got five, some got one. But nobody got too much, and nobody got less than. Everybody got their need met. I'm trying to tell you, you're all important to God. In chapter 3 and verse 8, we want one cooperating body, one cooperating church. Amen. And and, and and also, chapter 3 and verse 7, there's only one God who is important among us. And so law 4 said there's one God. Law 5 said we are one in cooperation. Amen. And law 6 says together we achieve more. Chapter 3 and verse 9. All right? Verse 10 to 11. One foundation, you can't build two. No. Let me go back to here for a bit here. What kind of church does God want? What kind of church does He want? There are some people, they're not going to cooperate, not even if Jesus came down. They're just divisive. Hot competitive. You know what? They don't can't build the world. This can't do it. Can't do it. The only difference allowed in the Bible are diversities of gifts. Nothing else. Not persons. Gifts. Only differences allowed in the church is in operations of those gifts. The only difference allowed in the Jesus Christ church is in the administrations. Administrators or management. Proper use of the gift is by edifying. Who is edified? Who said to me the other day, a chef 
get more pleasure when someone eats his meal than when he eats his own meal. And that never left me. That's profound. That's so profound. Proper use of your presence will always edify. Chapter 14 and verse 3 use the word edify. Chapter 14 and verse 4 use the word edify. Chapter 14 and verse 4 again use the word edify in a different sense. Verse 17 in the same chapter use edify in another sense. Verse 12 in the same chapter use edify in a different sense. And verse 26 look, look how God used the word edify. The question is what you're doing if you're going to overthrow the faith of others, you're not edifying the church. We can't afford to lose one person. Just like God can't afford that you lose one hair. No, I won't tell you, friend. When I was on the job, no boss let me quit. I don't quit for no boss. If he didn't like me, there's his problem. I'm going to stay there till attrition takes place. But I will not quit my job because you don't like me or mistreat me. I'm going to stay there and torment him. And you should not leave this church because somebody elbow you out. Or put their feet foot in the feed. Or say something about you. Or mistreat you. Or, or make you look foolish in a, in a committee meeting or some sorts. Remember who you're here for. Jesus Christ. And you're here for good. You must leave here better than you came. Not bitter as you leave. Hello. Here is verse 3 said you edify the church. Verse 4 said you edify yourself or the church. Verse 17 says chapter 14 says nobody's edified by what you're doing. Verse 12 says chapter 14 the church is edified. Verse 26 says all is edified. So what I'm going to do right now I'm going to do it in Corinth to edify God's church and all that come in my presence. And the key word here is order. Chapter 11, 34. The word order is used. One time. 14, 20. Two times. Chapter 16, verse 1. Three times. Chapter 15, 23. Four times. Now I want to say this, folks. I can't overemphasize this. When I talk to sinners, I'm careful what I say to them about my church. I'm very careful. Because the devil is that bird that knows they don't understand the Word of God and steal it from their heart. And he used it to get the wrong impression. I want to tell you, you don't need to tell the world I'm an hypocrite in this church. They'll find it when they come in. On their own. Because Mr. and Mrs. Hypocrite will show up eventually. And introduce themselves. <laughs> and take your side off of your coffee and tea. And you know it's poison ivy tea. Right? <laughs> it don't take long. I mean, if, you, if you've been around here long enough, you've been visited before. You've been taken downtown for the coffee, man. you got poison. I know that. Hey, I can see. I can see you lack of growth. You're stopping me by, you know. 
The bonsai plant, you won't go any taller because the bonsai plant meant to be 14 feet tall, but you can keep it locked up in a little box. You can't go any further, and folk can stop your growth. Ten men trembled the heart of two and a half million people by saying the wrong thing about Moses, God on the journey. Think about it. Now, so here's church edifying. So look, look at those things, folks. Is Jim born here? Let's see. Now, if you knew all this, would you come to church tonight? If you knew I was going to preach this tonight, wouldn't you, you probably call in sick, wouldn't you? <laughs> or bad weather, snow, too icy outside, <laughs> or too dicey inside. <laughs> Hello? Hello, folks? Paul says, I'm not doing this to your shame, Corinthians, but I'm doing it to warn you. It's the 414. There are diversities of gifts, 12 and verse 4. There are differences of administration, verse 5. There are diversities of operation. So there's diff- diver- different gifts, different administration, different operation. But one and the same God, the same Spirit. And you know what? We can't use it all at the same time. This guy, he had an operation. And they took a piece of his, bottom of his feet, and patched his nose, because he lost part of his nose. And they got a problem. Every so often, his nose wouldn't go for a walk. That's amazing. Hello? His nose want to go for a walk. That's why we tell those doctors to be careful what part you're borrowing from. Because I don't want a dysfunction in my body. Hello? Hello? Now, folks, that's what a parable I made up. You guys didn't like it. But I don't want my nose compete with my hands. I don't want my, my, my legs tell my tell my ears it's independent of it. Hello? I don't want no obstruction or disunity in my body. Look at this folks. I'm coming to a close here. Set in order of the church. Paul's trying to tell this, this this guy in Corinth. Set that church in order. Don't stop anybody from performing, but give it proper time perspective. Schedule it. If you've been in a shutdown, friend, and a plant, you know what I'm talking about. It's a terrible thing when a church has a shutdown. It's not organized. The most confused time at the plant when I was there was a shutdown time. Isn't that right? Bodies everywhere, garbage everywhere. But you know what? But because it's not disorganized chaos, it comes together in the end, on target. Because everybody's busy, but they're not tripping over each other and they're doing things in their right perspective time and work that's right there's planning involved there's organizing involved there's leading involved and there is evaluating involved and people assess what they're doing 
and stay on target with time. So God set in order the church. Right? I said, come on, you Corinthians. God is in charge. Not Paul and Peter and James and John. God is in charge. And so Paul is not there, so he put a pastor there. All right? And pastor delegate to these guys. Notice here, the name of the preacher is not mentioned in, in Corinth. Notice that? He wrote not to the preacher. He wrote to the what? The church. There's a difference between writing to a church and writing to a pastor. When he write to the pastor, he write, he write to Titus and Timothy. Right? And these men, by name, Philemon. But not writing to the church. Uh, he's directing it to the church. Now, in Revelation, he write to the pastor. So he's addressing the church. He said, read it to them. And let them know that they're the problems. In Revelation, he's saying to the preacher, you are the problem. I understand that. Does that make sense? So, preacher, you're the problem. You're the problem in, in the church. You, you're, you're the guy in charge. And I said to the people, you're the people that do the work. You're the one causing the problem here. And so here it is. They delegate. They volunteer. Now, Paul is a trained doctor. Know about the whole Testament. So you have done this too. Book of Numbers. You know the Book of Numbers. You know what it says. And the events that must be taking place. You must suck him if they want to do the Feast of Tabernacle during the month of June. <laughs> All right. Events have to be coordinated. Hello? You all can't just come and do things. Right? And then there must be a shedding and hold no. So if this was followed, will there be confusion in, in Corinth? Will there be? No. There was no order. And some folks say, well, I don't like organized religion. I've heard it before. You know what they're asking for? Chaos. Religion. God says organize or be chaotic. Confusion means there's no there's an absence of organized effort. So those people are talking for the devil, not for God. Hello? Do you see the moon and the sun crashing into each other? <laughs> no. Do you know something on the earth are going this way, some are going that way, some are going this way? So they're going all different direction, and there's no collision. They're all organized by a great God. Amen? They're scheduled. And then the church is edified because everything is moving properly. Even in your car. Some are piston, right? Some are gears crashing against each other. Some are bearings. Some are pumping oil. Some are pumping water. But it's all working to get you where you want to go. When the car stopped working, when the dog go chaos, somebody stopped doing their job, then the car won't move, right? And you get mad and you kick it, you kick a car and shoot it with a gun, bang, bang, bang. That's still going to get moving. <laughs> Hello, look at this, folks. See here, edify a church when they're executed, after posted. You know, God gave Israel a, a time frame. God said, "Tomorrow, folks, we're going to have the feast of Pentecost." 
No. Almost four months between the two events. Why can't we learn that too? That events need space. Because the same body of people always. Hello? Well, no, here's Jack. I need Jack. Sue need Jack. Jill need Jack. Henry need Jack. And you know, Jack is in the middle. We're going to chop him up? Or we're going to schedule a Jack? I think we can all use Jack or schedule a Jack. Huh? And we agree with Jack when Jack would be involved with either one. Is that right? The Corinthian church couldn't do that. One want to sing a song. One want to prophesy. One want, I mean, interpretation. Even when there was no message, they want to give interpretation anyhow. Use your gift. Paul said, come on now, you're old man. You're crazy what you're doing. All right? Here, what you want to do, is it schedule? No. Put on, right? Still here? Put on hold. This one? Okay. It doesn't mean you don't need to know sometime. doesn't mean you don't need this sometime. But it's all come together. You know, what's so terrible? When a group get together, you got one, two, three, four, five. Right? Jack, Sue, Henry, and, and Bill. Right? And Bill always wanted to run the show. At some point, they were just going to say, Bill, you're on your own. You know the best decision? It has no single owner. I'll show what I mean by this. Got a problem here. I come to a close. A decision to be made. We're far apart. We're far apart. We're far apart. All of a sudden we do this. Go back. For the sake of unity, for the sake of continuity, for the sake of respect, for the sake of honor and dignity of each other, we make sure everybody have a say. We tell people when I have the mediation, look, you may have your say, but you will always have your way. And you have the respect to listen to all the people's point of view, even when you don't agree. You don't have to respond. Me, listen. You must listen. And you must give it ultimate respect. And if you don't agree, you can agree, disagree, and still live here as friends and maintain a relationship. Hello. And you can also. Amen. There's some of the things that can happen here. And Paul trying to teach his church. I said, guys, check your motives. Check your motive. 